Welcome to the Modern Mobility Podcast, brought to you by Modern Mobility Partners. This podcast is for transportation planners and enthusiasts who want to learn practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges. And now, here are your co-hosts, certified transportation planners, national experts, and thought leaders, Kelly Kemp and Kirsten Moat. Welcome to episode 13 of the Modern Mobility Podcast. I am Kelly Kemp. And I'm Kirsten Moat. And we are your fabulous co-host as always. We have Candace Foster here with us again today with Modern Mobility Partners. Candace joined us in a couple of previous episodes now where she talked about equity and resilience and transportation planning. And today she's here to talk to us about mobility as a service. So Candace, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me yet again. Yeah. You're going to be a regular pro at this by the time we're done. (laughs) (laughs) So in today's episode, we're going to go through five steps the public sector can take to facilitate mobility as a service. And you're probably wondering, what are we talking about when we say mobility as a service? The unofficial definition from the Mobility as a Service Alliance, uh, the European Union Organization for Mass, um, so that's what we call it for short, M-A-A-S, Mass. Mass integrates various forms of transport services into a single mobility service accessible on demand. So think of it as a single application or mobile app that helps you trip plan from point A to B, and it gives you all the potential options for getting there, whether it's public transportation, bike share, ride share, scooters, all with a single payment system. So like right now you have to go to, you know, Uber if you want to catch a car or Lyft. You've got to go to, you know, um, uh, one of the scooter apps for scooters and, you know, all, all these different apps for different modes. The idea is to put this all into one mobile app and you pay one time. So the way I like to define it is just say, all right, we plan, ticket and pay for your trip across all modes and providers in one mobile app. Okay. So a lot of folks have been talking about, you know, wanting to, uh, transition into this over time. Some places are further along than others. But what we wanted to talk about today is how can we help facilitate getting there faster? Uh, one quick caveat, mass or mobility as a service does differ from mobility on demand or MOD. In the United States, MOD, which is defined by the United States Department of Transportation, is an innovative concept evolving around connected travelers, where consumers can access mobility and goods delivery services on demand by dispatching or using public transportation, shared mobility, and other innovative and emerging technologies. MOD incorporates trip planning, booking, and payment into a single system like MASS. However, the key difference is that MASS really aims to be a bundled subscription-like service for personal mobility. Okay, so there is there is a difference, and that being the key part. So we live in an increasingly interconnected world and technologies like ride share, bike share, and other micro mobility options like scooters are all means to get around. And it's necessary for the transportation system to innovate and consolidate these mode options into a single app with a single payment system like we've been talking about. Yeah. And I mean, this is so mobility as a service is going to be huge for the public. And there are lots of places that have already started to implement or phase this into implementation. And I just, you know, this is not to say that 
uh, we suggest that all of these companies who provide transportation services be consolidated. I, th- I think it's really important to note that mobility as a service should be providing options for people to choose which companies or which services they want to use. But imagine a single app where you can plan your trip. Let's say you're going from home to school. It'll not only plan your trip down to here's where you need to walk, here's where you need to take bike share or scooter, here's where you need to pick up your public transportation, here's where you're going to get off, but it'll also book the reservation for you. Uh, And so everything should act seamlessly. And then in the app, you'll also be able to pay for all of those services in one place. And that payment on the back end will get distributed to the different uh, services or or companies that you are essentially contracting with to, to book your ride. If you were using the true definition of mobility as a service, the subscription services provided would be game changing. This would be a monthly subscription for all your transportation needs. So think of it if you're booking, if you already use public transportation, you get a monthly pass and you have unlimited rides. It's that same kind of concept. You pay a monthly fee and then you can plan and book as many trips with as many different modes as you need. So like, wow, like that, that is a fully integrated system. Yeah. And I would just say that, you know, Currently, if I use my Google Maps app, for instance, it'll tell me, okay, it's going to take you X minutes to walk this segment of the trip. You can take these different transit routes if you want to take transit and it'll take this long. You know, there's this lift option that's available for ride sharing. But, you know, again, you would then have to go to separate apps to plan and pay for those, right? So it's not all in an all-in-one one-stop shop. So. So we're getting there, but it's going to take a little time. It will. You know, this is, and we're talking about five steps for public sector to plan for mobility as a service. This is a complicated and very complex process, and we're going to get into some of the things that need to be considered. But what is our role as transportation planners? I think it's critical to note that the backbone of mobility as a service is public transportation. And therefore, planners who work in transit will probably be the ones that are leading the charge of implementing mobility as a service for your area. So, Candice, let's go ahead and jump into these steps. Sure. So, step one is to identify or become an internal champion for mobility as a service in your organization. So, this person, maybe you, would bring forth mobility as a service into discussions. They would stay up to date with the research and be up to date with the potential grant opportunities would be useful to help implement some sort of pilot for mass in your area. Therefore, once your organization is ready to take next steps on mass imp- implementation, there's already you there with the staff knowledge and expertise on that topic. Yeah, and I'm just going to chime in here for a second, Candace. <laughs> you talked about grant opportunities, and I th- I th- I think, you know, this has been one of our major themes of podcast, uh, the Modern Mobility Podcast Season 2, is grant funding and grant strategies. But even for this, there are, there are several programs out there that are opportunities to funding the planning and the implementation of mobility as a service. And I, I would like to, you know, direct everybody to the Federal Transit Administration. So you can go to transit.dot.dot.gov forward slash grants. 
Um, and there are a few programs that I just want to kind of call out. So there's the Accelerating Innovative Mobility, uh, which is a competitive grant. There's Access and Mobility Partnership Grants. So we're going to talk about partnerships here in a little bit. There's the Build Grant, which we've talked a lot about, which uh, there's, well, it's now RAISE, but um, that notice of funding is actually out as we're recording this. There's also some other innovative funding. So there's the Enhancing Mobility Innovation. This NOFO or Notice of Funding Opportunity came out in November of last year. But all that to say, there's there are a lot of grant opportunities that would encompass this type of work. So, you know, funding is always a challenge, but I feel like that challenge is being lessened. Yes. Thanks, Kirsten. Step two is to define and establish goals for mass. So what would mass look like for your organization? It, you know, it might not be the true definition of mobility as a service based on what Kelly said, um, based on the mass organization in the European Union. So clearly define what goals and objectives are for your organization and for mass implementation, what steps you might take first. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also important that organizations recognize that a full mass may not be feasible for them as a first step. So thinking about ways that you can kind of phase into a full mass implementation, you could start with just trip planning, right? Just providing an application to help people understand what their transportation options are from point A to point B. I know this has been a focus of the Atlanta Metro region, the Atlanta Region Transit Link Authority, who is the regional governing body for transit here in Atlanta. Um, they've been working on a trip planning application. In fact, they received some funding to continue to develop that. They're not prepared to go into a full mass app where you can book and pay for those services, but they're starting with that first step of just trip planning. So you can take an incremental approach to this. Start out with what you can reasonably achieve in a shorter amount of time and then just build upon it. Yes. And I'll give an example. Um, Move PGH is the mass service for Pittsburgh, and it's designed by a transit app and gives trip planning, booking um, from electric scooters, zip cars, uh, carpool services, um, as well as having real-time public transportation information. And they bundle that all together with a monthly subscription that's covered by grant funding. So... That is their universal basic mobility pilot that they're doing right now up there in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and I would just add that, you know, and I think, Candace, you'll get into this in the next step, but part of what we can do is just get out of the way. So when it comes to the private sector, the private sector, they're going to come in and do their thing with developing the apps and everything. And we just need to get out of their way and make it a little easier. And so I'll, I'll let you get into that more in step three here. But I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. And step three, which is uh, kind of the core step you want to do to, to begin thinking about app developers coming in, is to provide data access. So make your GTFS feed accessible and open. So for those who don't know what GTFS is it stands for the General Transit Feed Specification. 
So it's a type of data that allows public transit agencies to publish their transit data in a format that can be used in a wide variety of software applications. So this is your first step, you know, getting your transit data ready to be incorporated into an app for, for example, trip planning and then going on from there. So this includes when trains or buses are coming, um, how much it costs, where your bus stops are located, um, and various kind of data that your transit uh, has. Yeah. So, I mean, even if you're looking at Google Maps or Apple Maps and you turn on the transit feature, um, that's pulling this GTFS data as much as they have. So sometimes um, a transit system may only provide route information and may not provide the true feed of up to date scheduling. Um, but those that tell you, you know, a map application that tells you when the next bus is going to arrive or how long before the next bus arrives or the train arrives, that's pulling this GTFS data. Yeah. And there are two actually types of GTFS data you can, you can have. You, there's a static component which has those basic, you know, fare, schedule, geographic information. And then you have a real-time component that incorporates, you know, arrival predictions, where the vehicle is, and kind of any service advisories that you may have. And so with those two types of data, you can really start to incorporate, you know, mobility as a service into your transit. If you develop a basic app, for example, where's my next bus? There's a lot of different open apps available that do that already. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about ways ways to phase. I think that's probably the key step. If if you have any interest in providing mobility as a service in any form or fashion, this is the first way to do it is just provide and make your data accessible, especially if you are um, a transit operator. Yeah, I'd agree with that 100%. Yes. So step four is to promote safety, equity, and first and last mile connections by investing in complete streets and bike and pedestrian infrastructure. So another critical step, since mobility as a service incorporates all means of getting around, it's important that your infrastructure is ready to support that multimodal travel. So we talked about implications of safety and equity in episode five of the Modern Mobility Podcast. So be sure to check that out for more information. Yeah, and I would just add, I think this is where we as transportation planners have a lot of influence. This is this is in our lane, which is, you know, making sure that we do plan for complete streets. And so, Candace, perhaps maybe you could explain to, to our listeners what we mean by complete streets. Yeah, so complete streets simply are streets planned and designed for all the users in mind. So Typically, streets are designed only to be kind of a thoroughfare for cars. So think about that road. You know, most places have it in your city. It's two lanes going in both directions. There's a Chick-fil-A, a McDonald's, and a Taco Bell all in a 50-meter radius. You have a gas station on the corner. You're going 50 miles per hour, although the speed spin limit is 35. That type of road is not a complete street. So let's reimagine that road. We reimagine that road being tree-lined with wide sidewalks, benches, um, a bike lane, maybe a bus lane, multiple pedestrian crossings throughout the street, bus stops that aren't just a pole in the ground. Um, That's what we mean by a complete street. Yeah, I think it's really about designing for people and not vehicles. Yeah, um, and I'll even take it a step further. So um, in downtown Atlanta, we had the privilege of working on this study, but it's the Peachtree Street shared space concept. So this yeah. goes a step further than just complete streets. 
and is intended to make the entire road, sidewalk, the entire infrastructure from face of building to face of building accessible for all. So it's removing the curbs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's providing access for vehicles, but it's really intended to slow the vehicles down so that pedestrians and bicyclists and people on scooters can use all of that space as well. And it's not really designated um, for one particular use. Yeah, that was that was a fascinating project, especially since Peachtree Street going through downtown Atlanta is so heavily traveled. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think over the decades, um, and the way that development has occurred in Atlanta is that it, it turned into a, a thoroughfare and was no longer mm-hmm. a destination. And so now the city of Atlanta is trying to reimagine that into a destination and bring more people out onto the sidewalks and it not just, you know, be a place for people who work there, be a, a road that people are traveling through is an alternate to like the interstate, which runs parallel to it. Yeah. And I would just add before we move on to the next step that really by making sure that we do have more complete streets, that's allowing more service providers for different modes to come in and provide those different mobility options for the users. So, you know, that's a big part of mobility as a service. Yes. So last step, uh, step five is to gain experience with public-private partnerships. So implementing mobility as a service will be a joint effort with the public sector and private app developers, various ride-sharing and micromobility companies. So it would be beneficial to have knowledge and experience with public-private partnership project delivery. Yeah. So public-private partnerships. So... (laughs) This is also another complicated topic that we're not going to get into today, but that could be a I, whole nother podcast. Yeah. But generally speaking, you know, public private partnerships are where you have the public sector, the private sector coming together to deliver a project in which both have a little bit of skin in the game and both um, have some sort of benefit for the private sector. That's usually money. Um, Mm -hmm. But for the public sector, it's providing a service or providing infrastructure to to the public. So a lot of times we think about public-private partnerships on major infrastructure projects. So if your city has any express lanes or managed lanes or truck-only lanes, they were many times financed through a public-private partnership where the private sector has helped finance or has invested in that infrastructure project. And then in return, the private sector gets some of the revenues from the tolls that are collected for those lanes. So that's just Mm -hmm. one example. But for this, you know, it could be any sort of partnership between the public sector and a private entity. So it could be a private application developer that the public sector is working with, or it could be a transit operator who's working with a private company like Uber or Lyft and coming together and saying, we want to both invest in some sort of mobility as a service, and then they work out the agreement of revenues on the back end so that it's beneficial for both to enter into that partnership. Does that make sense to Candace Kelly? You want to make, expand on that? Make, makes sense to me. Okay. <laughs> I, hope I'm, I hope I'm explaining that clearly. 
Um, cause it is, it, it can be complicated, but the s- yeah. simplest is just what it says in, in the title, public and private come together, they partner and they enter into an agreement to deliver a service. And didn't, um, Atlanta, I want to say it was maybe two or maybe three years ago, did like a hackathon where they had, you know, all these mobile app developers come in and they provided the open source data and they could kind of do their thing and see what they could come up with. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they have done that. Um, I can't remember when the most recent one was, but I think that gets back to your point, Kelly, that the private sector will find a way if they have the opportunity to do so. So there's a lot of companies that want to develop these apps if the data is available and will provide Mm -hmm. them to the public. So that doesn't even require a partnership. It's just providing access to the data so that they can grab it and and pull it and then use it for some sort of third-party application in which they can probably make some money off of, if nothing else, through advertisement. Is there any reason why an agency would not want to provide their DTFS data other than it just needs to be cleaned? It could be out of sorts and there's a lot of data cleansing that needs to happen first. Candace, I don't know if you want to chime in on any of this, but, you know, I, th- I think that there are still some security concerns, some cybersecurity mm-hmm. concerns mm-hmm, yeah. that if they open up that data, are people going to be able to get into their system? I am not a computer scientist by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm having laptop issues as we talk. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not the computer person. But I know, you know, the privacy and security is very important to mm-hmm. transit operators and transportation providers. So um, I think that there's still some hesitancy around those issues, but I, I think everybody's trying to work to resolve them to make it as secure as possible. Yeah. And earlier, you know, I'd mentioned about the data cleansing. I do mm-hmm. think that is a big challenge. It is. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that's something that we've seen before and just getting that data prepared so that it is usable to the outside folks, you know? So yeah, with data cleaning, not only is it need to be usable, it needs to be accessible. So think about the accessibility issues when we have things like abbreviated road as of RD instead of road. And when somebody wants to, you know, have a voice, you know, somebody who's visually impaired needs to hear that. Uh, they hear go on MLK DRRD and, you know, instead of hearing MLK Boulevard or road. So that cleaning right. is manual. Um, I think they have to do it manually and standardize ah, it as well, I think, as well. That's interesting. Yeah, there's there's a lot of data scrubbing. But those grants that I talked about, I think, <laughs> will help cover the costs of having people do that because it is very labor intensive and time yeah. intensive. Yeah. But it's worth doing correctly. Yes. Yes. Well, this has been a great um, podcast with a lot of good nuggets in there. Anything else? Or are we good to go? Um, no, nothing in particular. I mean, I'm just thinking about my own experiences and, you know, having something like this available. And I'll be honest, like it's it's not I think this would be more beneficial for me traveling to other cities than mm-hmm. being in my my own. I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but. I remember going to London 
uh, several years ago, and I was trying to get up to a little town where my grandfather was stationed in World War II called Barry St. Edmunds. And we were in London. We did not have a vehicle. And so I was like looking at all of their tube schedules and mm-hmm. their commuter train schedules. And mm-hmm. like, I also didn't have like a cell phone service while I was over there. So oh. unless I was on Wi-Fi, I didn't have access to maps or anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm like writing down the train schedules and being like, okay, <laughs> we have to get on this train and then we have to transfer here and we've got to get our tickets here. And then we got to be on this train by this time. Otherwise, there's no other trains up to Barry St. Edmunds for the rest of the day. And then we have to be back on the train coming back to London. Like it was it was a whole process. I had a whole notebook page of every instruction of how we were going to get there and mm-hmm. get back. Oh, my goodness. So, having something like this would be really helpful to help plan a trip, especially in a city that, you know, you're not familiar with. So. I have a question. I, you know, I just started listening to all this and thinking, if you're in an urban area, all right, where there is good transit and you have walkability and all these different options, do you guys think that with the advent of a true mass, do you think that fewer people would own their own private vehicles and potentially transition over to this mass because they may find it's cheaper or easier and they don't have to worry about parking and maintaining a vehicle and all that stuff. I mean, I, I can see it going either way. What if it all adds I, up and it's more expensive yeah, <laughs> than having your own car? I think as long as people are willing to have an open mind and explore it. Yeah. Like, I think that in cities where transit is okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. people, you know, are, get very comfortable using their vehicle. Yeah. And probably are less likely to even give it a try. So I think there's a big educational component to it. But I think if people are willing to give it a shot, they may find that if you do have something like this, it's really not that difficult to navigate and you don't have that many transfers, then people are going to be willing to use it. It may or may not be cheaper than driving the car, but if it's subscription based, Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you create those um, economies of scale. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and I would, oh, go ahead. So, yeah, I lived in DC for two years. Um, I didn't use a car. I, I brought my car for the first two months, I would say. And I found I used transit a lot and my parking was $200 a month. So, therefore, I found the need that I didn't need my car in DC. Mm-hmm. And if I had a mobility as a service app, I would just, I think the benefits for me would be having that place where you could, you know, Uber at the same mm-hmm. time as looking at the public transit. Um, so sometimes when public transit wasn't as available or say late at night, I would probably prefer an Uber having that app at the one, one stop shop for just my Uber and maybe public transit as well, just in case, or maybe, um, a bike share because DC had a great bike share program as well. Um, mm-hmm. that would be. Super cool. Just not having to navigate multiple apps would just be, you know, yeah. just an easier thing. Yeah. As a yeah. parent of a teenager, I'd be all for this. Well, not that I'm buying them a car anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> it would just help the cause, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. And um, I do want to give a, a shout out to the Georgia Department of Transportation. 
because this, you know, we talk about mobility as a service kind of in these urban areas, but this can also be really beneficial in rural areas where there is transportation available and people don't know how to access it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, probably this is going on in several other states, but for rural public transit providers, there is um, an app available called Let's Ride. And it's the same kind of thing. So you can book your trip. It's not a full mobility service. It's more mobility on demand than it is mass. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a step in the right direction to provide these services outside of urban areas, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, If you are a nationally certified planner through the American Institute of Certified Planners, this episode is eligible for AICP continuing maintenance credits. Uh, And you can find all of our podcasts that are eligible for AICP credits, which are all of them, by the way, on the American Planning Association website at planning.org. And all you have to do is search for Modern Mobility Partners in the AICP CM log, and you'll find all of our podcasts there. If you want to learn more about how we at Modern Mobility Partners can help you, you can find us at modernmobilitypartners.com. You can also find on the website there a free downloadable cheat sheet for this episode, as well as one for all of our previous episodes. And do not forget to subscribe and even better review our podcast. You can find us on any of your podcast listening apps. And with that, we are over and out. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Modern Mobility. If you work for an organization that has implemented innovative and practical solutions to modern day transportation challenges and are interested in being on our podcast, email us at podcast at modernmobilitypartners.com. Want to learn more about our consulting services? Check us out at modernmobilitypartners.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast.